had me at Jello, Jello. You had me at Jello. You had me at Jello. Oh, you had me at Jello. Welcome, everybody. It's five o'clock on a Friday. Five o'clock on Friday, we all know what that means. That means it's now time to practice. All Friday evening and all day Saturday and Sunday, practice, practice, practice. I Whatever was going on in your week, you can just leave it aside while you have your cello in your hands and are playing beautiful music. So all the various things that are, for example, on the new website, please check out You Had Me At Cello are hopefully designed to help inspire people, not only through the week, but also through your weekend of practicing. And then this time, five o'clock on Friday, is my opportunity to visit with some other cellist and find out what they're up to and just how they are inspired by and can inspire us as well, uh, music and cello. So this afternoon, I have with me David Kaplan. I'm very excited to have David Kaplan with me, an outstanding young cellist who's going to tell us a bit about his background with cello. How are you doing today, David? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Thanks for being here. So by way of introduction, can you tell the audience a bit about your background with music in general and the cello in particular? Yeah, so uh, maybe I'll work backwards. Uh, I'm currently 21 years old. Uh, I'm from Skokie, Illinois, and I'm a senior at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Uh, and I'm planning on getting a master's at the University of Michigan. Uh, but right now I study with Daniel McDonough of the Jupiter String Quartet. Uh, and in the past I've studied with Dimitri Kozev, uh, Jonathan Pegas, Adelaide Hagari, and you. And uh, so in high school, I spent two summers at the Birch Creek Music Performance Center and four summers at the UW-Whitewater Summer Strings Camp, uh, which was just absolutely incredible in my formative years. Um, and so then in college, I went to the Aspen Music Festival after my freshman year, and I studied with Eric Kim and Derrett Atkins. And then after my sophomore year, I went to the Taos School of Music, uh, where I studied chamber music with uh, the Borromeo, Brentano, and Shanghai string quartets, and as well as Robert McDonald. Uh, and then this summer, I went to the Vivace Online Music Festival. Um, but I started the cello in fourth grade, and I started taking lessons when I was in seventh grade. Excellent, excellent. And I, a lot of people have an interesting story as to what initially drew them to the the cello in particular. What drew you to the cello? Well, um, I remember them showing us all the instruments in fourth grade, and so I was stuck between the cello and the tuba. Uh, but the tuba ended up being quite a bit more expensive. Um, but So I picked the cello, and it felt really cool to kind of carry around this big instrument. Um, and, you know, it just it looked really cool to me. Um, and then so I started taking lessons in seventh grade after I was encouraged by a friend. And I think the hardest thing was to make that transition to paying $70 a week. Um, but I, I never looked back, and, and I'm thankful that I was able to do that. Um, but I think what... What, what drew me to music, um, so I, I was bullied as a little kid and I always struggled with 
self-image and things like that. And so I just wanted something that I could be good at. And I knew sports would never be my calling. And, and I was pretty smart, but I just felt like music was something I could think about all day. Um, and looking back, maybe that was a good thing because uh, it, it wasn't really about the cello per se, but it was about music and being able to know all about it and play it with others and, and all of that. And so cello was just a median to, to doing that. Um, and I think that's an important distinction actually to not get caught up uh, with being the most perfect cellist out there, um, but always keeping at the forefront that actually the music is is really the boss there. Um, and, and so that's how I've always felt to, to kind of focus more on creating a powerful and meaningful listening experience, um, not only for the listener, but myself and kind of, you know, if something's out of tune, that's okay. Well, that's excellent, excellent words. Um, I always, about your cello playing, one of the things that has struck me is how I can't imagine you ever having had to be told to play music with with passion and with emotion. Mm -hmm. You always immediately understood that this is not just kind of a, just some sort of a physical end in itself or something, but that it's about mm -hmm. this, this incredible art. So do you have words of wisdom that you'd, be able to share as far as just that inner game of connecting to the music and, and following every line to the hilt, uh, just, just getting so lost in the music like you do. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of things are coming to mind. I think that um, there has to be a certain... It has to be natural, I think. And I think that's the trickiest thing is kind of finding that within yourself. Because I think um, there's a difference between learned musicality, like learning how to play this phrase here and there, versus really feeling it in your heart. And so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is trying to figure out what exactly do I want. Um, and, and oftentimes that's not so easy, I think. Um, but there has to be that passion and, and also a respect for the music, I think. Um, I, I once made a promise to myself, kind of a silly promise maybe, that I would never play a note without purpose or with boredom ever again. And so it's a good promise in theory, but it's a difficult thing to do. And, and I failed at it many times. You know, how, how do you make that line interesting or how do you shape it? Uh, how do the other parts relate to how your line is written? Um, and, and so having a musical technique, as I like to call it, uh, certainly helps. Um, you know, some words of encouragement I always kind of think about myself, you know, um, so some people might say, well, you know, I'll never be as good as Yo-Yo Ma or I could never sound like that. So what's the point? Why should I play the cello? What do I have to offer? And so my answer to that kind of question for myself and everybody um, is that that's maybe not the right way to think because everyone is different and we all shape musical lines differently and everyone has a unique voice that's worth hearing. And so I think that that's really encouraging for anybody who wants to play music. Um, and I try to make that a priority in my performances to offer like my own special rendition of whatever I'm playing. 
Um, and so that being said, I think as musicians, it, it, we need to do that kind of work in our practice. Uh, that is like um, figuring out exactly how we'd like to bring different things out or not bring things out and what we want to do here and there. And it's, it's such an exciting process. Um, but s sounding good is not enough anymore. That's where, I, maybe I mentioned this already, or we'll talk about it, that, that just having a good technique and, and a good sound is not enough. Uh, because there's a lot of people that can play in tune and, and have good sounds. But I think what's important is that we offer something special. Um, and it all starts with that passion for musical lines. Yeah, excellent. Well said. Now, is there is there a uh, metaphorical well that you go to from time to time when you need inspiration? If you're finding that there's a particular line that you know you want something different out of it, what do you do for inspiration for additional uh, possibilities? Yeah, that's a tricky question. It's so personal. Um... I think that a lot of the times if I'm struggling with a piece, um, for example, right now I'm learning, uh, I just started learning the Dalius cello sonata. It's an incredible piece of music. I think it's it's very underplayed and I absolutely love it. Uh, it's so vivid. and But sometimes it can be hard for me to understand how I want to shape uh, a line when I'm first learning that. And so... Um, I mean, it's cliche, but I, I like to listen to different recordings and um, maybe even try to play the piano part on the cello and, and, and those kind of things to try to inspire myself. But as far as outside inspiration, um, I have certain go-to pieces that I always listen to when I'm feeling like I want to start feeling emotional or uh, I, I feel like I'm closing up or something like that. And one of those pieces for me is the Tchaikovsky Piano Trio. Um, I, I think that, that that might be my favorite piece ever written, and it's so incredible and just has the whole gamut of emotions. And so when I listen to that personally, for me, it, it can really help um, open me up. Terrific. Outstanding. Now, you mentioned earlier a musical technique, and uh, I'm thinking about how one of the things I've been working on recently I need to do a presentation in a few weeks on Dunas and uh, George Nykrug, whom I got to study with, was, was a disciple of Dunas, and he would always talk about how technique should be something that keeps any of our physical limitations or those of the instrument from getting in the way of our musical vision. So I'm just kind of curious. You, in addition to being an extremely musical player, you have wonderful technique, and it's you have a, a fearlessness, which I think is really important in technique, that it, it not be allowed to be something that intimidates you or that makes you hesitate. Those sorts of things are, are really not, not good on stage. You just, you just do it, uh, what needs to be done. So do you have, can you expand a little bit on that term that you used of a musical technique? Yeah. I think, uh, like a little sidetrack, I think that part of that fearless technique idea, I, I, maybe that's just a personal quality that I have, but I think we can all uh, tap into. It's just the, the, the like, you know, like, I, I don't care. Like, if something's out of tune, who cares? Like, it's about creating that musical... Um, 
just it's sensational when you're on stage and and so it's important not to get caught up and you know yeah i i sure do play a lot of out of tune notes when i'm on stage so what i i think that that that's just part of my attitude um and you know i, I think that when 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 i was growing up and and when people are growing up there's oftentimes these two camps camps of students that maybe have just this incredible technique but maybe are are lacking a little bit in musicality and then students that are just innately very musical um but haven't yet learned um these technical ideas and i think that um over the course of our lives as musicians that that's the goal is to marry those two together technique and music um that's what makes an artist to me and so we have to have our technique at a certain level to be able to provide this wide variety of sounds and colors. Um, but we also have to keep ourselves open-minded, inspired, uh, creative. I think that's really important. Um, and so that, so I believe that that when practicing um, technique should never be divorced from the music. I think that that is really the key. Um, and so most of the time when, when you're practicing technique without being interesting or interested and trying to also craft musical line at the same time, um, that maybe this is not the, the most efficient way to go. Um, and it can kind of calcify our playing in a way. Um, I think that approaching technique uh, this way in the practice room being musical is a lot more fun actually and so technique doesn't have to be scary um, It's it's only there to serve the music. That's what it's for and so in the limited teaching that I've done I always like to try to incorporate technical ideas that serve the music that that have this ultimate goal of creating more variety in my students playing and and so to close off I think that that um, technique should never be learned in a vacuum. I think that that can be dangerous. Great. Well said. I do want to take issue with you with one of the things you said. Mm -hmm. I don't think you play a lot of out-of-tune notes on stage. <laughs> I think you, in fact, would you agree that there's kind of this irony sometimes in that if you have this attitude about, hey, if I play an out-of-tune note that's uh, not the end of the world, that mm -hmm. kind of that ability to let go of this perfectionism actually can lead to fewer out-of-tune notes because you, you're able to play more comfortably and more naturally. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there was a, what was the, was it a nationally broadcast radio show that you played on? And um, so if the listener, for example, wants to go check out some of your playing and decide mm -hmm. for themselves just how many out-of-tune notes you play, what was, what was that show? Uh, so I played twice on From the Top uh, when I was 17. So I was a senior in high school. Um, the first time was in Texas, and I played the 4A Elegy. And then the second time was in Reno, Nevada, and I played with a quartet, and we did the fifth movement of Bartok's fourth quartet. And they they do such a great job of making uh, the show fun, not only for us, but they really emphasize the fact that... Um, that we need to get out there as young artists and lead our generation and and um, and show them how powerful music is. And so we would go into schools and play for elementary school kids, and they got so excited. And I think that's such important work these days that that needs to be done um, for for all of us. Yeah. Now, is it safe to say that there's of all the music you clearly love the solo repertoire and the orchestral repertoire? 
but that, uh, like a number of other musicians, that chamber music has a particularly special place in your heart? Yeah, it really does. Um, I started chamber music in high school, um, and and I won some competitions and stuff, and it was it was great. I enjoyed every every minute of it. Um, but I think that the biggest turning point for me was going to the Taos School of Music, uh, where I kind of learned that chamber music and and really all music is about 20 levels deeper than I ever imagined in a way. And and so personally, what I enjoy the most about chamber music is um, all of the discussion, the idea sharing, and even arguing that comes with rehearsing and preparing a piece of music uh, with other individuals. But for me, all of that is one of just the quickest ways to grow as a musician with all of that discussion going on. And it becomes a melting pot of new ideas. Uh, and, and also, you just have to be so sharp and on your toes at all times, which is really thrilling because there's no one in the section to, to carry you if something happens. And so at the very least, I think that chair music, uh, it provides a really unique uh, special, intimate opportunity um, to just be yourself and uh, retain your own unique voice in your playing. And, and for me, that's really important. Uh, and it just, it feels so energizing. Uh, I must admit, in, in the limited amount of chamber music teaching that I've done, it's just a different beast than teaching cello alone. Um, I like to try to focus on um, showing the students that every part is so interesting and how to make a certain line more energetic or personal or tragic or shell-shocked, what have you. Um, and, and so I'm still learning how to do that, but there's just so much there. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much, David. This has provided a wide variety of, of aspects of uh, what it is, what music is and what it is to play it in, in so many different ways that you embrace and hopefully the viewers of this show will as well. <laughs> so I'll just mention for the viewers next week, our guest will be Peter Thomas, Milwaukee-based cellist, plays with the Milwaukee Symphony and plays uh, in chamber music groups and plays in alternative styles groups, just a very active and outstanding cellist. And also I want to just mention for cellists watching as well, to please put the date May 16th in your calendar. May 16th, we're going to have our next cello clinic at UW-Whitewater, and we're trying it this time both as an either on-campus, on-site, in-person thing, outdoors, or as a virtual thing, uh, so you can choose whichever you're more comfortable with. But the theme will be popper etudes, those wonderful popper etudes. David, you've played quite a few of them. Do you have a particular favorite? Oh, you know, I think my favorite is the one that I'm working on at the time. I think they're all interesting. Yeah. They um. really are. Um, so that'll hopefully be a good good excuse to blow the dust off of any that, uh, that people have been working on but only gotten to a certain place in their technique or, or whatever you want to do with the Popper Etudes that day, we will hopefully be able to, to help with. So um, on that note, do you have any last, maybe as a, as a closing comment, if you don't mind, David, the other thing is I've always um, recognized 
in you a willingness to practice. So mm -hmm. do you have any, any words about people who just kind of sometimes have a tough time getting the instrument out of the case and getting started, for example? Yeah, I, I've always been personally motivated by um, kind of two things. I, I think long-term goals, like summer festivals throughout the year and, and things like that. Um, so the, these long-term goals that keep us moving. Um, I'm always inspired by listening to great performances and things like that. Uh, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I think that one of the biggest motivators for me is, um, you know, I, I always want to be prepared. And so that always keeps me on my toes um, because, um, you know, that's never a good thing if somebody's not prepared and, and that can kind of slow things down. And um, I'm kind of that way in my entire life, actually. I mean, if you look in my car, I have a flashlight and a fire extinguisher and a first aid kit and everything. I always want to be prepared. And, and that kind of extends into my uh, musical life. But I think that that's... Uh, that, that's important and shouldn't be understated that we should always uh, be prepared for what comes to us. Uh, and I, I think that that's a good thing to, to think about. But in a performance situation, you have prepared yourself as much as you can. And then whatever happens, you, you go with it. You roll with it, right? You don't let yeah. it. Yeah, you're, you're like an actor in a way. Yeah. Um, or, or even a magician. I mean, <laughs> sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Terrific. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks so much, David. It's a, always a pleasure talking with you. Um, so I look forward to every chance I get, every next chance that I get to, uh, to visit with you. And Thank I you. hope that all of the viewers look forward to a weekend full of wonderful and inspired practice. Thanks so much. Thank you.